You know, it's only as we see the Lord as big as He is can we really see how desperate we are. Do we understand? Can we visualize this morning? Can we visualize the awesomeness of who Jesus is? The awesomeness who our Father in Heaven is? And how much He desires to have relationship with me and you this morning? How much He wants to come down and get involved in our every detail? How much He wants to come down and get involved in our lives? at every level that he wants nowhere that he isn't found in in us and then we can grasp and see the size of who who he is and his his infinite love can we really then begin to see how desperate we are this is not a negative song this is not saying that we are despicable little people no what this is saying that we have relationship with the most high and we as we see our relationship with him that we can become desperate for him that nothing compares with him in our life so as we sing that course one more time and we can see ourselves in relationship with this huge God that loves us so much that he he's created all of you the universe but yet he comes down into my heart and my life and sees me right where I'm at and he wants to deal with me and help me that I can call out and say I am desperate for you Jesus I am desperate for you I am desperate for this relationship let's sing it again and let's just let the Lord know how desperate we really are for him this morning Well, this morning I want to continue in our study on First Peter, and uh, we're going to be beginning chapter 5 today. And after about 30 messages, we're now in the chapter 5, and uh, this is the final chapter, not the final message, the final chapter of this relatively short yet powerful book in the New Testament. Up to this point in time, Peter has been focusing on various purposes and the various causes of suffering. That's his primary theme throughout the book is suffering and how Christians undergo suffering. Why do Christians have to suffer? We've talked extensively about suffering as Peter has 
brought it out to us. And throughout the scriptures, it talks about suffering on a regular basis that we as Christians are going to go through lots of stuff. That's just the reality of life. We've discussed that there's multiple causes for suffering. One of the causes, and probably the most general form or reason for, cause, for suffering, is that it is the overall condition that affects all mankind because of sin. Because of the fall that happened so many thousands of years ago in the, in the Garden of Eden, because of that sin, because of that condition, it has separated man from God. And as a result, we undergo suffering because man handed their dominionship over the world, which God created as perfect, without suffering. Man handed it over to Satan and said, here, Satan, you take it. And as a result, he has brought suffering into the world that has impacted all mankind. It is the disease that affects everybody. You've heard the saying, hurting people hurt people. And that's exactly what happens. The more you get hurt, the more people get hurt, the more often they hurt other people because it's what they know. It's all they know in some cases. None of us like that. It's not the way we like it. That's just the reality of the world we live in. In fact, it's interesting to note that we have whole careers, we have whole industries that are created to deal with suffering. Well, I've never thought about it until really this series that we have industries called hospitals and mental health institutions and prison systems. We have careers like doctors, police officers, psychiatrists. Careers that are all created because of this thing called suffering that in God's original plan never would have been here. We would never have had a need for a hospital. We never would have needed judges and attorneys and lawyers and police officers and the criminal justice system if we wouldn't have had sin. We have whole industries created to deal with man's decision, thinking that he could do it better than what God was giving them. Isn't that silly to think that? Isn't that silly to think that we have a better idea? <laughs> well, as Dr. Phil would say, how's it working for you? Not so good, is it? Because we have whole industries established to deal with this thing called suffering. Another cause of suffering are all the hosts of the demonic forces that Satan has unleashed on this world. And they bring intense suffering to all people. Not just Christians, but to all people. Specifically, they target Christians that are trying to make a difference, that are trying to live a life of holiness, trying to live a life of righteousness, trying to be good, godly leaders in their home. Clearly, those people are marked for additional tribulation, additional stress. But yet, we know that he is, a, he is an enemy that has been defeated. He is not going to prevail long term. He, is, he has his day, and his day right now is, is pretty intense, but the enemy is not going to win. He, what, he is, what he's out to do is intimidate and to scare people. A scared Christian is an ineffective Christian. 
or a spiritually dead Christian because the enemy will come to kill your spiritual life. He may not have the ability to kill you physically because God will protect, but he can kill your spiritual life. So a spiritually scared Christian or a spiritually dead Christian is of no value. And the devil doesn't care if you call yourself a Christian as long as he can scare you or intimidate you from actually being a Christian, for actually living a life of Christianity and living a life of following through on Christ's commands, he will do whatever he can to intimidate you. But recognize that even though he is able to intimidate, he is limited in his ability. First John chapter 4, verse 4, the writer says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Who is them? The world. Because the one who is in, is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Basically, we have defeated Satan with the power of Christ in our life. The Holy Spirit within us protects us and gives us the ability to withstand the wiles of the enemy. We're told in Peter that the devil is like a roaring lion. And he is, releasing, he is released to go in through all the world to destroy people. That's the, devil, that's the devil's plan. But he's not going to win long term because he has been defeated. Now the third and probably the most important reason or purpose of suffering is the suffering that God allows, hear me, the suffering that God allows for a purpose of maturing and perfecting the saints. God allows suffering to come in our life at times because he uses that as a way to get our attention and as a way to change our path or to get us thinking about the things that he would have us think about. So suffering can be used to help us. In fact, all things, according to Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things. See, this gives me great hope as a Christian person, knowing that I am going to have suffering, knowing I'm going to have tribulation, knowing that I'm going to have a lot of stresses in my life. When I know that I can stand on God's word, when God's word says it, that in all things, not just some things, not just the things that aren't so bad, not just the things that don't appear so heavy. No, he says in all things. God works for the good of those. Not who God loves, but who love God. Recognize the significance here. God loves all people. True? Amen. But not all people love Him. True? So there's a difference. When you love God, when you have accepted Jesus Christ and you have made him your Savior and then you've made him your Lord, meaning that you have given him ownership of your life, when you have done that, now you can understand God's word differently because it is applied to you differently than it is if you were the world. Because without Jesus, without that salvation knowledge, that revelation knowledge of who Jesus is in your life as a person that is saved, you are not a friend of God. The Bible says that you are an enemy of God and you become an heir, a joint heir of Christ when you accept him as your Savior. And when you do that and make him Lord, now these passages are written to you for a purpose to encourage us and to give us confidence to know that no matter how bad things are in my life, no matter how things are spinning wildly out of control in my life, 
I can go back to Romans 8, 28 and say, for I know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him because, and I love him. I love you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. Therefore, I know that the stuff happening in my life, you're going to take it and you're going to make good out of it. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. I mean, that is confidence. That is peace that I can have in the moment. Right now, I can have a sense of peace and assurance that God is working all this chaos out for my betterment, for my good. Amen. I love that. As I look at that, when I can keep that in my perspective now, it helps me to now, as I look at chapter 5, because chapter 5, we're going to start looking at now the suffering, but not so much from the external side of what's happening or how the external suffering is happening, but now it's going to look more at my reaction to my suffering. How am I acting it out? How am I living in the midst of it? It's going to be more of an example of what it means that I'm going to be showing people in the world what does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman undergoing suffering? What is my example to the world? That's kind of where we're going now in chapter 5. We're going to be talking about how I as a Christian person Endure suffering, and yet I am not overcome by it. Rather, I am allowing that suffering to be used for my good, and I have a good attitude about it. And I'm seeing it for what God, how God is using it, and I'm trying to get the bigger picture here of what's happening. And now, as my example in the world should be one that says, I want to be like that man, I want to be like that woman, because I want that peace, I want that confidence in the midst of trouble. It's happening to all people. This world is really crazy. I mean, it's crazy. I cannot believe. I have never heard the media attack our leadership in our country the, the way you're attacking them right now. It is crazy. And it's not that, that our leadership is 100% godly. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that what they're doing is better than where it was, and now the media and so forth is taking it down so that it is t totally spinning into an antichrist agenda. In fact, this isn't the point of the message today, but the more I'm reading uh, and seeing prophetically what's going on in the world, it is clearly we are moving into the apocalypse stages of Revelation. We are moving into that time where it truly is getting to the end of the time. And if we can't see that, if we don't see that, you are spiritually blinded and you are susceptible to be, wiped, to, to be deceived. That's what the Bible says, that even the elect can be deceived. Recognize, folks, the times are getting that wildly out of control in the world around us. Thank the Lord I have my firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that this is what this church is based on. It is based on the Word of God only, not on what's going on, not on the popular culture, not on what's socially relevant. It is based on God's word, and we're going to stay based on God's word no matter what's going on around us, no matter where we go, no matter what's happening. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to swerve. We're not going to take a bypass. We're not going to get distracted. We're going to stay focused in on God's word, and we're going to believe it, and we're going to preach it, and we're going to live it out to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. Thank you. Amen. Peter is talking to, to leaders in chapter 5. He's talking to church leaders. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to teachers. He's talking to worship leaders. 
But we're going to find that he's not just talking to church leaders. He's talking to every man or woman that calls himself a Christian because, indeed, we are all leaders. Leadership is not limited to those that get paid to lead. Leadership is not limited to those that are in charge of something. Make no mistake about it. God is placing every person that is a Christian into a leadership role because you are influencing many, many people around you, whether you like it, whether you know it or not. Your influence is being seen as a leadership position because we, the lowest Christian, the the most immature Christian, is heads and tails above the most worldly non-Christian. See, see that for what it is. You do not have to be a Bible scholar to be a Christian leader. No, you can be day one salvation and you can be a leader of those around you because you know something that no one else knows because you have the revelation knowledge of salvation and you have eternal life and you have peace and you have a purpose now that has changed your life and now you are a leader. That is a good thing. So therefore, what Peter is saying here applies to all of us. Don't look at this and say, nope, that's just for the preacher. Nope, that's just for the worship leader. Nope, that's just for the Sunday school person. No, it it is for every person that calls himself a Christian. So let's jump in. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Peter says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is Jesus, by the way, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're asking now that you give us some revelation knowledge, some knowledge that we couldn't gain from any place else but from the Holy Spirit, that you would open this passage up and make it alive to us. Lord, we just need you so much. We totally depend on you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 sets the tone very well. Peter is writing to the elders the leaders of the church across Asia Minor at the time. So let me ask the question, who are the elders? What is an elder? Who is an elder? Well, an elder, the term elder refers to two different groups of people, yet sometimes the same people can be in both groups. Sounds kind of confusing, doesn't it? One of these groups is an elder due to physical age. If somebody is older than you, they are your elder, right? So that's one group of people. The other group of people are those that are more spiritually mature than another Christian. An elder can be in spiritual terms or an elder can be in physical terms. So therefore, you could have an older person who is, spil- who is more spiritually mature can be in both groups. Or you can have a young person that is not your elder, but that young person can be more spiritually mature than you. So he's talking to those elders in the churches of that day 
that are, could be, and what he's really gearing towards are those that are spiritually mature regardless of their age. <laughs> That's really the key thing here. We aren't looking just for the gray hair people. We're looking for those that love Jesus, that are committed to him, that are following him, that are maturing in him regardless of their age. Do you think Peter would have been upset if someone that wasn't a leader or an elder in the church would have read his book or would have read his letter and they weren't leaders or elders? Do you think he would be a mis- I mean, do you think that he really is gearing this only towards them? No, I don't think so at all. Because the purpose here is what he's doing. He's training up those elders. So this letter is very pertinent to all of us today, whether you are a physical elder or a spiritual elder, this is the process of becoming an elder. So read the book. Read the information. Gain the knowledge that he's giving us because that will help us to mature. Peter sees the need for all of us to continue to grow up spiritually. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit is inspiring the writers of the New Testament to write the words that we would read that would make us spiritually mature. Amen. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. Now, let's also look at how Peter is addressing this letter. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now, it's interesting here that Peter, recognize who Peter is. Peter is one of the major leaders in the church world of the time. Peter, Paul are probably the two major leaders. Now, there's 12 other disciples, 11 other disciples but we don't read a whole lot about the other 11, do we? There's Matthew, John, Luke, and there's a, uh, Luke wasn't one, but there's a bunch of others that were disciples of Jesus that we don't read a lot about. Peter was one of the two big ones. He had every right here to promote himself as being the leader of the church. Now, all you people that are under me, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. Pay attention because I'm Peter. I'm the one that walked with Jesus. I'm the one that he rebuked. I'm the one that I saw behind the scenes. I was with Jesus every day. I saw Jesus in his weak points, if Jesus had any weak points. I, see, I saw him in his humanity. I saw him in his suffering. So now you all listen to me. Come on, listen up. I'm the one speaking. In fact, I'm the one that walked on water. Have you walked on water? Anybody else here walked on water? No, I'm the only one. Peter's the only one in the world besides Jesus Christ that walked on water. But how did Peter come to his people? He didn't come in a presumptuous, egotistical way to say, hey, guys, I'm the dude here. Pay attention. No, he came to him and he says, hey, I appeal. First of all, he's coming to appeal to them. There's something about that. When a person of power, of prominence comes and says, hey, I'm coming to ask you something. I'm coming to give you a little word. I'm coming to help you. I'm not coming to tell you. I'm not coming to demand anything from you. Peter wasn't coming to demand. He was appealing to them. And he came and he says, I appeal as a fellow elder. Hey, guys, I'm one of you. We're together in this thing. We're arm in arm here. We're in the battle together. I come to you as a fellow elder. I have some good news. I have some things to share because I was a witness of Christ's sufferings. 
Boy, that's got my attention. I don't know about you, but I like it when people come to me that way. I like it when they come down to my level and they come down to where I'm at and say, hey, I got some things to talk to you about. Do you want to talk a little bit? Can we spend some time now, you and I, let's get together and just chat a little bit? That's the, that's the feeling I'm getting here from Peter, that he said, hey, come on, let's go ahead and have a cup of coffee. Let's go down to Johann's if Johann's was here. Let's go down and have a cup of coffee and let's chat a little bit. That's just what I'm getting like this. And I, and I love it. I think it's so, it opens it up so much. And then he goes on in chapter, or verse 2. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. All right, leaders, understand your role. Understand the significance of your role. Understand that you have a responsibility that God has given you to take care of God's flock. God has given you the, res- the responsibility to do some things. Are we taking it serious? He's just not talking to pastors. Now, clearly, he is talking to pastors. No question about it, he is talking to pastors. But he's also talking to people sitting in the pew. He's also talking to a boss. He's also talking to a team leader on the job. He's also talking to a dad and a mom. God has given you your children. He's blessed you with your children. Would you watch over them? Would you take care of them? See, here's some really interesting tidbits to talk about leading and following. You can't have a leader if you don't have a following. (laughs) Otherwise, you're a one-man band. Not a good place. So how do we come up with leadership and followership? An important point to realize is that for those that are being the leader, take it seriously, but don't get lofty in it. Don't be headstrong in it. Don't be egotistical about it. Come down to the level of the people that you're leading. And then for those that are being led, do you know that you have a responsibility as well? Do you know that every follower has the responsibility To follow? You don't have to follow. You can walk away. You can do whatever you want. But if you're going to have the benefit of the leader, then you must follow the leader. Make sense? So we must know how to be a good leader and we must know how to be a good follower. And there's an element here of pride in both instances that the devil will use to destroy both the leader and the follower. And both of the levels of pride are wrong. And we need to recognize what they are and make sure that we don't fall in in either one of these categories. If as the leader, clearly you can have a prideful position of saying, I'm the leader, you must follow me. Okay? That's not a good place to be. Okay? That's, That's not a good level of pride. The pride of being a poor follower says, I, nobody's gonna lead me. Uh, wait, 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 no, no. I'm going to resist the follow. I'm going to resist the following of a leader. There's pride in that. Both are wrong. A leader must be humble. He must be approachable. He must be teachable in his own leadership abilities. And a follower must be, I'm willing to be led. I'm willing to follow a godly leader. 
I'm willing to submit to another person. I'm willing to submit to an organization. I'm willing to submit to something that God has established because God has established leadership. God has established pastors. God has established churches. He's established them. So now as a follower, I must, be resi- I must not resist that. I must step into that. The writer of Hebrews tells it this way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. See, God has a plan for us to work together. He wants us to come arm in arm together. He doesn't want the leader to become pompous and arrogant and lead way out ahead And he doesn't want the followers to be resistant, hanging back, being resistant, being passively aggressive. Yeah, I'll do it, but then never do it. No, he wants us to be walking together, hand in hand, arm in arm. And here's something that is very serious, that your leaders, and we all have them, by the way, they must submit to God's judgment at a higher level you know what that does to leaders? It better scare them. It better put a fear of God in them. Because a leader, a knowing leader that stands up and doesn't preach the word of God, that doesn't stand up for godly values, that is afraid of society's moralistic relativity, that will not preach a message that is challenging a, a challenging message, a leader that way, It's not going to be a good day when he stands before God and God says, I never gave you the authority to say that. The authority I gave you was to preach my word. Amen. So, what do we do with that? We humbly accept it. We humbly walk in it. We humbly do our best to be a leader and we humbly be our best to be a good follower. So what is the purpose? What is the gain of being a godly leader look like? Well, Peter goes on in, in, the, in the rest of chapter t- uh, verses 2 and 3. He says that we're shepherds of God's flock. We're watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And then he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve people. That's what we're being asked to do. We're being asked to do things because of a de- out of a desire to please the Lord, not as a way to gain revenue, not as a ga- way to gain power, not as a way to lord over people. No, we're to walk with people, and because we're going to give an account to God how we led it should put a healthy fear into the leader. I will tell you one thing. It is a lot easier to tell people what to do if you don't have to do it first. Do as I say, not do as I do. Come on, as parents, we know that, right? It's a lot easier to tell your kids what to do if you don't have to give an example of your life first. Well, that's a challenge for leaders today. For all of us, no matter what level you're in. 
here's the, what Paul saw in leadership. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the other big, big one of the two, he was concerned about his own following through on his own ability to stay as a leader in right relationship with the Lord. That sounds hard to believe here, doesn't it, that Paul would be afraid of that? That Paul would be concerned that maybe his life isn't going to line up? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. This is Paul speaking. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Easier to say, do what I say, not do what I do. We have responsibilities as leaders to lead through our example. Lead because we're not perfect, but we're leading as forgiven people that are repenting people and that are moving forward people. And then he goes on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. Here's the, here's the benefit for all of us. And when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. When the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Is it worth it? Moms, dads, leaders, Christian leaders, is it going to be worth it? Absolutely it's going to be worth it. No matter how hard it is in the moment. No matter how difficult it appears. No matter how futile it might seem. It's worth it if we follow the leadership of Jesus Christ. And don't give in. And don't stop being who you're called to be because you may not appear to be as successful as you'd like to be. You know, this is where I was going to take some time, and, but I'm not going to take the time today because it's 12 o'clock. But I do want to spend some time at some point in time in the future. And I want to talk about my calling. I want to talk about why am I here. But I'm not going to take the time right now. We'll do this another time. You know, being an active follower is very important. Can I just say that? It's more important to be an active follower than to be a leader. It's more important to follow an example that the Word gives us, to follow in that, because as I follow that, I will follow that Word given in God's Word, I will follow that into eternal life. I will follow that if I'm, if I'm consistent, if I'm persistent, if I am a good studier of God's Word, and if I do as Jesus said, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, if I do that, I will live my life right into heaven as an active follower. If I in any way, shape, or form figure out, no, I've got a better way. I've got a way that will take me down a shortcut. That's not being an active follower. That's not being an obedient servant of Christ. And that will not lead you to heaven. So this morning, I want to come together with you as active followers of Christ, together. We're going to follow Christ together, no matter what the world does around us. 
Not, if it, not even if it gets down to me and one other person in this church or if it's me and 5,000 people in this church. It doesn't make any difference. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow him to the end. Would you come with me up here with me and can we share in communion this morning and just use this as a time where we're going to express our deepest appreciation for who Jesus is. Would you write, would you stand with me? And let's just come down. You do not have to be a member of this church. All you have to do is have Jesus in your heart. Love him with all your heart. Live him, love him with Uh, out compromise, come in and just celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ through act of communion this morning. Let's pray as you're coming. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are leading us. I thank you, Lord, that you are truly worth following, that you being the chief shepherd, that when you come back, you are going to be searching for all those shepherds, all those leaders, and that you are going to give them a diligent reward of their faithfulness. Father, that's truly the position that I think most of us are here are in today, that we want to be one of those leaders that you come back for. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds today, I pray, Father, that we would be judging ourselves Asking for forgiveness where forgiveness is required. Repenting where we need to repent. Go the other direction. Follow you, Father, with reckless abandon. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's very important that we do this on a regular basis. We don't do this on the first Sunday of every month. We do do this on a regular basis because we do know that, that we are following the example of Jesus Christ and that he did this with his disciples. He instituted communion with them on the Last Supper when he gave them a piece of bread and he said, guys, this bread represents my body and it's shortly going to be torn and it's going to be destroyed and it's going to be broken for you. He was willing to allow his body to be broken for me. I, I just can't, hardly can't comprehend that fact, that he would love me so much. So this morning, as you lift the cracker and take a look at it and, and recognize this as, as indicative of the broken body of Christ, that he allowed himself to be broken so that I don't have to be broken any longer. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we take this little cracker right now that that symbolizes your body, symbolizes the brokenness that you bore for us. And Lord, and with that now, we don't have to be broken any longer, that we can be complete and we can be healed and we can be whole and complete because of your brokenness. And we thank you and we honor you for that. And for that, we're willing to be your follower. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you partake of the cracker with me, please? The cup that you hold in your hand represents the blood of Christ. As we've said before, the blood 
his life. Jesus poured out his life for us. He allowed every drop of blood to be poured out of his body onto a dry ground, symbolizing that that blood now falls on a dry, dead me. My spiritual man was dead. The blood of Christ flows over me through repentance, and it brings new life, a rebirth, something that I can't even begin to comprehend or understand it, but all I know is that I'm alive because of it. I'm alive because of the blood of Christ. And so when I take this cup today, when I, when I take it in that perspective, it gives me a hope for a future. It gives me a plan to move forward. And it gives me a reason to be thankful more and more in Jesus' name. So, Father, as I lift this cup to you, I say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and are continuing to do for me and for this church and for every person in this body. We recognize that. And we celebrate this, and we say thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you are condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Father, we thank you for this. Now go with us as we go throughout our day today. Help us to celebrate you on a regular basis, always keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.